Hi there, thanks for tuning in to our latest podcast. While we're busy shaping up CoachCast, which we're really looking forward to sharing with you, we don't want to leave you waiting for great coaching content. So today, we're bringing you some fantastic material from another handy podcast, DNA Insights. If you haven't unearthed this pod yet, it's from our early years specialist, Pete Sturgis, and can be found on the England football community. Enjoy. In today's podcast, we're going to be really dissecting a coaching session and what exactly that might look like. So we'll just get straight to it, Dad. So if if we've got the kids for an hour and an hour a week, how would you even begin to start creating a session? <laughs> well, one of the things you can do straight away, and this is where you might bring the parents just a little bit closer to you, is ask them about what their children's activity levels are like, both at school but also in the free time that they have at home. Yeah. And it, this might dictate what your hour contains because if you find out that the majority of your group will play out in the streets, have got older brothers or sisters who they engage with playing football on the back lawn or you know with the dog yeah. or they've always got a ball at their feet, that's going to put that that child in a in a different position. Um, on on their development uh, profile, if you like. And so for, for me, once I've found that out, if I've got a large majority of the group who do lots of football um, informally, like pickup games and, yeah. and those, you know, those other kinds of games, then I can afford to include a little bit more structure into, into my uh, work with them during yeah. that hour. If it's the opposite... And unfortunately, more and more children are falling into this category is that they're they're not as active at school. In fact, some schools are banning football during, you know, break times and and at lunch times. And so if their activity levels are being chipped away at, then because we we know about the importance of free play and we're going to look at that in more detail in, in another episode, then I think it's more important that if that's what the group the majority of the group's week looks like it's more important that we have less structure and more of that playful yeah, you know pick up type kinds of games if we've only got a we- uh, an hour a week so the the job that starts before you actually get down into writing down your coaching session is assessing getting to know what your kids are and aren't exposed to so yeah. that you know that what you're writing caters to their specific needs exactly and it's a great way to to open that dialogue with the parents and you know and, and get them it's a chance for you to just send out some very subtle messages about the way you want to to, to work with the group yeah. and and what your priorities are and it just breaks down lots of those barriers yeah um i think too often coaches keep the parents at, at arm's length um and then wonder why they don't get any the full support or the parents are giving mixed messages or shouting different things to what the coach wants. Yeah. I think, for me, you have to bring the parents into this. And this this is a great way to, to start yeah. it. Because obviously we've talked about this in previous episodes about creating that specific environment. Well, that the, the, the epicentre of that environment is obviously the coach and the, the kids involved in the coaching session. But if we were to expand that and that was to ripple out, parents and guardians are obviously included in that. So if everyone is on board... Yeah. and everyone is delivering the same messages, then that's going to be really beneficial for any child yeah. involved, isn't it? Yeah. So if we if we then move to the next step, so what we've we've kind of figured out where the kids are on that spectrum of free play or they need more structured practice, 
Um, what would what would you what would your first activity be when they arrive? So let's look at a generic one because it's really difficult for me to say right. You've got a group of under nines. This is exactly what yeah, you should be doing. We've we've already uh, explored the fact that children come in lots of different shapes, sizes, and, and guises. So let let's just say right. This is would probably be good practice. Yeah. Getting them. Greeting the children is probably the most important thing. And again, you might be thinking, if you listen to this, I'm a coach and, uh, and I want to do football. Yeah, yeah. What's greeting the children got to do with it? This checking in process is really important because it's an opportunity for you to connect with each individual child. Yeah. It's a chance for you to ask them how their day might have been. Because if they're uh, upset, if they're bouncing off the walls... If they have got something on their mind, then that's going to, the way their mental state is will begin to hijack their ability to learn. Mm -hmm. And so just having the conversation with them and saying, right, even if someone's got something on their mind, you say, right, for the next hour, we're going to have loads of fun and we're going to try to take your mind off it. So you've almost validated how they yeah, feel yeah. and then said, right, let's have a go at trying to change that mindset. Yeah. I've seen coaches use smiley faces, you know, or, or upset faces yeah, or yeah. worried faces just to say, look, let me know how you feel. And then it gets the kids thinking about, right, am I really ready and in a state of readiness to learn? Yeah. So this checking in process is really important. Um, this might come as a shock to some coaches, but... There are children out there who, unless they know exactly what is going to happen during the hour, they're, they're anxious. Yeah, I know I would be one of those kids. And those stress levels, again, hijack your ability to learn. Yeah, yeah. So it can either be done verbally or I've seen coaches who've put it on a board where they've said, right, at the start of the session, we are going to start with a match. Yeah. Um, this will last for about 15, 20 minutes and then... We, we are going to go on to this and this and this. And at the end, we're going to do this. Yeah, yeah. So anybody, any child who turns up feeling in that state can immediately, hopefully, begin to calm down so that yeah, they've yeah. got an idea about to do it, uh, about what they're going to do. So those two things, checking in with the children, both verbally and through your, let's call it a, I don't know, practice board yeah, or yeah. a storyboard of what the session's going to be like, is, is a really important precursor before you've even kicked a ball because I guess then to move successfully into successful practices and successful exercises that 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 checking in I know that that's that's been done in my line of work and actually it just allows you to go I've walked into the room or I've walked into the session with this particular energy to have that validated and going that's okay I'm not I, yeah. I, I'm not expecting nor will I always ask you to come to training with a specific emotion mindset because life gets in the way and yeah, even kids exactly. need to feel like they can arrive how they feel and we go don't worry we'll cater for the kid at the bonkers end of the spectrum he's really giddy and we'll cater for the kid who's had a really bad day yeah. that's fine we'll check in with everyone we'll move on and then hopefully it will just allow the kids chance to just go i can just let that go and move on yeah and this is where you begin right from the start to meet some kind of individual needs yeah so that every child feels as though they're important in what's going on so if i need a storyboard you know 
the, the coach will provide it. Yeah, yeah. If the coach, if it's if it's important to me that I know where I can put my drinks bottle or where my mum and daddy's going to stand, yeah. you know, if they're staying and watching, then I the coach needs to accept yeah, yeah. that and not just say, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, get on with it and get over it. For some kids, they won't need to know that, but exactly. it's just about catering to the needs of those <clears throat> who do exactly. need to know that and yeah. just being all inclusive. Yeah. And that is what setting that really safe and secure environment can entail. Absolutely. So let's assume that all that's been done. Yeah. Two ways for me. One is an absolutely high energy, gut busting, you know, lung bursting activity to just blow all the cobwebs away. If the children have been quite sedentary at school, this is a great way to get them engaged, get them laughing, get that real sense of energy and enjoyment and engagement that, you know, lots of children will immediately. It's almost like you flick a switch and you've got them. And that can be through story, it can be through themes, it can be through, you know, the latest cartoons or the latest film, anything just to get them going. So that's one way. You could also start with um, a a game so that as children come, you can check in with them individually. Yeah. And then you almost form your own little pickup game by saying, right, oh, there's four already there. Um, so they're playing 2v2, so you can join whichever side you want. Yeah. And it now becomes 3v2. When the next child comes, it's 3v3, 4v3, it and, and it just grows. And it's a great way for the coach to just settle down and get their head together with what's going to follow. But immediately the children are engaged in, in an yeah, activity. Yeah. And it's it's a game of football, which we've already spoke about, how important it is that we give them what they love about the game, which is playing it and being involved absolutely and I think it's nice that you kind of that you mentioned obviously one um possible example is a game and a game of football but then you mentioned that the other high energy one doesn't have to take form as a football game it's and and this will lead me nicely onto the next clip that we're going to play that a variety of formats and a variety of exercises a variety of sports that are included in your session as we've talked about in you know, um, in previous episodes, that number two key message is sport, physical activity and football, that there's so many, there's so many things that come from other sports and other exercises that are so beneficial that you can add in. So um, I'm going to play this clip now. It's from Matt Portis, who was the physical lead for the FA. And it's, it's him talking about a variety of formats. So we'll go ahead and listen to that now. So in terms of the different game formats, um, because of the space that's available generally, but also the number of players on the field. That will um, ultimately affect the physical demands on the body when you're playing those games. So always training in a small area or always just playing one format of football probably isn't the best for a a kind of varied physical development of your players. So you've got to think about how we get in the 1v1s, the 2v2, the small-sided games into the programme, how we get in elements of perhaps 5v5, 6v6, 7v7, and then how are we getting some of the larger-sided games into the programme as well. At 16, we're still trying to develop physical capacity, so we know that because the, the muscles in the body are still growing at 16, a young player still can't produce the intensity of activity that a senior player can. So it's still very, very important to get that variation in the games programme as well as the training that you do. So from what Matt has just spoken about, how would that then influence the session that we're now putting together? Yeah. Um, I know a lot of grassroots coaches will 
probably train on the same venue um, and normally on the same uh, area of a pitch. So I, I know when I when I had a team, we might have had a third of an AstroTurf at the local school. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think what Matt's alluding to is if you always train in fairly small areas, what your players will become very good at, surprisingly, is playing in small areas. <laughs> but if you are there at the venue with um, other teams from your club, then if, you, if the coaches talk to each other and say, look, this week, can I have half the pitch because I want my players just to get used to playing in a bigger area, yeah, yeah. Um, passing over longer distances, travelling with the ball over longer distances. And because uh, the coaches that you're talking to, their players will need the same kind of variety, you almost rotate Benefits around everyone, the, yeah. the, the, the AstroTurf that you've got available rather than just stick to the postage stamp that everybody works on yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, every time they train. So having those discussions with your colleagues, with your fellow coaches is really important so that the players get used to playing in small areas, large areas, long and narrow areas, long and fat areas, the players need the lot because yeah, yeah. the way that we are challenging their skills and their abilities through changing pitch sizes and numbers uh, on each team are the constant challenges that they need to lay down all of yeah, those yeah. important neural networks that we spoke about earlier. And it's what we talked about um, before that actually if you're asking kids to be flexible and malleable and to you know take on all of this information that is also required of you as the coach and so it was it was nice to hear what Matt said that or sorry what you just said then about kind of that rotation and that communication between fellow coaches or whoever you're sharing the space with that you've got to be don't just accept the environment that you're in how can we change that how can you change that so that everyone who's involved is experiencing a different yeah. space. For, for me, you won't be... Well, you might be perceived as a pain, but it's, I, I would certainly say, oh, crikey, this coach knows what he's on about because he understands the um, the benefits of players training in different size of areas yeah, rather yeah. than being on the same area all the time. I think also, uh, and it's, it's very, very closely related to that last point, if you've got your under-8s and under-9s who might be training at the same venue, at the same time. Yeah. Rather than have two separate sessions going on, if you want to get your players better at competitive play or, you know, or playing against players that they, they might not know as well, which happens every weekend, mm -hmm. then you can play or you can mix those two age groups together. Yeah. Um, so that you could have a, a number of under nines and under eights being on the same team. Um, and again, this is where we begin to meet individual differences. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, we can give that some careful thought so that whatever teams we come up with, whether they're discrete age group teams or mixtures of those teams, it's for a very specific reason. So we are saying the returns of this will be... Yeah. As a coach, I can structure what the game looks like, whether it's 4v4, 3v3, 6v6. Yeah. We can control the environment so there won't be anybody from an opposing team like there might be at the weekend shouting, boot it out, kick them, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. these are rubbish, all of those things. Because myself and my fellow coach from the same club are able to control the environment yeah, yeah. and what we are practising and what we're prioritising. And also the players get... 
almost a chance to play in a mini tournament and in some kind of competitive environment. And yet it's within a really safe environment because it's run by our coaches on our terms at a venue that we all know. And we all know the reason that we're doing it. There are so many, you know, benefits from doing it this way. And some of our academies, you know, are criticised. There is a lot of excellent work going on at the academies. And the one thing they've made real strides with is actually mixing age groups together. Yeah. So instead of um, players playing up an age group or down an age group, because they're either good or perceived as not very good, there's almost this notion of you're going to play across an age group. So you could play with under nines, with under tens, with under elevens, if it's safe. And that's the norm for the kids. So if on a Sunday you say, oh, uh, I know you're an under nine, but the under tens are a player short, will you go and play for them? Yeah, yeah. It's not, oh, you must be a good player and mum and dad are getting their first professional contract (laughs) ready. It's just actually, they need you. You've played with them, you know, for a long time in training. You know most of them. They love, you know, you when you, you train with them go up and play with them. So there's all sorts of barriers that can be broken down if we just tend to look a little bit broader than this is my team and we've got an hour and this is what we must do. It's just, and it is that, so the title of that Matt Porter's clip is a variety of formats and everything that you've just said, playing in different formats, playing with different people, that there's going to be so many new learning opportunities from playing with players who are slightly bigger, slightly smaller, exactly. more skillful, less skillful, that actually you're getting a, an all-rounded view of how to be a, a more skillful player, yeah. how to, that, that cognitive ability, that physical ability is obviously all still growing. But if you're only ever exposed to a specific type of environment, then you will only ever be good in that specific type of environment. If you're put into, obviously you don't want to, to drop any child in at the deep end where they feel too overwhelmed that they, it, it's a bit debilitating. Yeah. But exposing them and slowly opening up their world and their and the kind of those circles like we talked about before, it it it, it seems like common sense, doesn't it? That that would be a good yeah. place to start. There's a really good reasoning behind doing it. It it takes a little bit of planning and yeah, a little yeah. bit of thought, and sometimes the teams won't be of equal number. Yeah. So you might have, I don't know, five under eights playing against three under nines. Yeah. But when you put them together, it's a real it's a real match and it's it's a close and it's it's a hard fought game. Yeah. So coaches spending time thinking about those things, I think it's more valuable than saying, right, I need my next session, where's the internet? Yeah. yeah. You know? So so we've 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 talked in fairly broad terms about when the children arrive, what's a great way to settle them down and get them into a, a a state of readiness for learning we've talked about a high energy um, activity we've also talked about starting with a game yeah if the game is going really well please 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 don't say we're going to now stop that because i've planned my session <laughs> if the game is going really well and you've got high engagement from the children they're, they're practicing some really good stuff yeah you know, and you're able to, to notice them doing some really positive and skillful things, keep the game going. Yeah. But the implications for us as the coach is we've got to get better at being in that environment. So we know what we're looking for. Yeah. We're getting better at observing the players so that whenever we do help them or offer some advice, it's actually based on knowing their game and their capabilities and their strengths and weaknesses to in a lot more detail yeah. so that whatever piece of advice you offer them is actually really pertinent and helpful 
because you've based it on lots of times when you've watched and, and almost soaked up what they're good at and what they might yeah, need yeah. help with. So if we obviously we, we kind of mentioned this before that um, it, it doesn't necessarily just have to be football and football exercises. So are there any other sports that you have or exercises from sports that you have brought into coaching sessions that you've done because there's a specific benefit towards physical or cognitive development that works well long-term in a coaching session. Yeah, definitely. I can, I can mention two straight away. Um, we spoke about hiding the ball in the, in the last episode. Playing basketball, if, um, if you're a junior club and you go to an indoor venue during the winter, um, if you're not on AstroTurf but actually in a school sports hall, playing basketball is absolutely brilliant because children will automatically turn their back on an opponent to shield the ball. Yeah, yeah. The skill of the coach is to then say, remember when you do that? If you do that when the ball's at your feet, if you think someone's going to take it off you, that's going to be as good as the way that you protect it when you're playing basketball. Also, hand-eye coordination is really important for all children. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so it's important that we expose all of the children to that kind of thing. Also, stopping and starting and changing direction and bouncing a basketball is, re- is quite an yeah, advanced yeah. skill. And you can see huge improvements in the children who actually get their, their coaching sessions um, interrupted by different sports. Yeah. And you might think, well, I'm taking away from football, but what we've got to see is the long-term benefits. Absolutely. So basketball is a great one. Um, tag rugby is another because that involves so many different yet um, supportive physical movements for football that it's just brilliant about checking off on one foot. And also, because you have to pass the ball backwards, you can let it then get into about supporting positions. Um, for us, playing tag rugby, the supporting positions are from behind. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you get into football, you can say, well, we know how to support from behind, but we can also support from in front. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lots of ways that you can link it all together. I mean, as well as for tag rugby, and you kind of mentioned that kind of like supporting lean, It's there's a lot of pivoting, isn't there? And that actually, if you want to successfully hide and then manoeuvre the ball, being able to move and, and shift balance quickly on your feet is a really great skill. Exactly. And obviously with basketball, I know when I play basketball, it's a it's a natural thing to do to turn away. And yeah. actually it's just putting the kids in in different environments where they know where you know that they're going to do something naturally like basketball. Oh, I want the kids to you know, make that connection. Yeah. Oh, in basketball, I do this. Oh, my! I know I can do that. I know my body can move that way. So if I just put it in a different context, yeah. then that will work. And it's like you said, it's obviously if a coach is worried or parents are, are, are there and they're going, well, my, my kid only played football for five minutes of this. They played other sports for the rest of it. Yeah. I'm a bit worried about that. Obviously, we know that it's important to engage the parents first and foremost, because that is where they're included in that environment hopefully they'll be on board but then also in the long run what that's going to do when they do get to play football for longer periods of time all of these things that they've learned will come in handy and the challenge to the coach is looking at the skills that can be transferred because if you're playing well in basketball and in tag rugby feigning to pass is a great thing yeah yeah um and Feigning to pass in football 
is also a brilliant thing. And adding that cunning and that disguise and yeah, that yeah. stealth to your game is hugely important. You know, so if we can't quite, if the, if the young players are not in a point where they can disguise a pass in football or disguise their intention in football, but they can pretend to, to pass the ball, you know, in rugby or basketball, yeah, yeah. that's where we help them make the links and say, we know you can do it, yeah, yeah. so you've got the capability. It's just going to take a little bit longer to perfect it with your feet. Yeah. But all the time we're drawing these different strands together because we know over a long period of time that's going to benefit the players on the journey that we're going to tap Absolutely. them Absolutely. All about transferable skills. <coughs> yeah. So we've... Sorry. No, no. So I was just going to kind of summarise what we've talked about. So we've got the checking in with players when they first arrive and then obviously you've... Previous to that, you've spoken to the parents and you've or spoken to the kids and, and you know what end of the free play or more structured yeah. sessions that you want to you wanna pop them in. Um, and then we've got the arrival games, be that a high-energy game or be that a, a, an actual small scale that then that gets bigger, an actual football game. We've then also got the ability to include basketball games, tag rugby games, to name a few, or other sporting activities that allow these skills which happen naturally in those games and we go oh that's this is where we build that awareness yeah. and that connection between what they're doing physically that's and the what key. they know that's the key so is there is there anything else that that you think is a key thing to add in or is that kind of does that kind of summarize no uh, there is there is so much more because <laughs> you know at, at this age uh, th this age and stage of their development the players do need everything, everything. i'm asked all the time you know if you add one thing uh, that you could do with foundation phase players to make them better, what would it be? I'll just say everything, because they do need everything. Yeah, yeah. So we've spoken about the things that you've just outlined. We've also got to include our 1v1 practices, mm -hmm. our 2v1 practices, our 2v2 practices. We've then got to take those very, very specific skills and position them in slightly larger formats like 4v4 or 5v5 yeah. or 6v6. So when you, when you look at that, we've probably got enough to start building a longer-term plan because it's impossible to build high-energy uh, activities, start with an arrival game and keep it going, yeah. um, add you know, basketball and, and tag rugby, adding all your 1v1s, 2v2, it's impossible to fit that into an hour yeah, without yeah. paying lip service to, to everything and the kids learning nothing. Yeah, yeah. So have a plan. So if periodically we're saying, right, every so many weeks we're going to play tag rugby because I need to remind the players yeah, yeah. about checking off on one foot, adding disguise and all of those things. So you're building a story yeah. and you're taking them back to the story and saying this is where the story goes from here yeah and so that's how we we take the children with us so the implications for the coach are having a small number of these high energy games yeah um getting better at working with a, a match if the arrival activity or the arrival game is going really yeah, yeah. well don't stop it, keep it going, but you've then got to become really effective in doing it. Know what skill transfer is possible from any other activity other than football so that you can position it, you know, yeah, into yeah. football. Unless, unless it's a complete, you know, 
wipe the slate clean. We are going to do this activity because you're absolutely going to love it. Yeah. yeah. And please keep those activities. If you've got a few of those activities, keep them in. Keep them in, yeah. Just to, to, to build that environment and build that, that enjoyment. The last implication for the coach is if you're doing 1v1s, 2v1s, 2v2s or any other small number activity, you have got to get better at what learning can take place during those small number activities. Yeah. So your observational skills have got to be you know, through the roof. Yeah. Your technical understanding has got to be through the roof yeah. because you're going to help the players. But you've also got to observe and say there are... I don't know, six things that I could talk about when you played that one too and it went wrong. But unless we put this first thing right, all the others don't really count. Yeah. So you've got to know your technical detail, but then be really good at prioritising and say, for this player, they need this bit. But somebody over here in the same situation, they've already got the first two or three steps. Yeah. It's the last bit that might be going wrong. And you've got to be able to tailor your interventions and your help and advice in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I want to play another clip now by um, the main man, Gareth Southgate, because in this clip, he, he, he mentions that for him, being a coach is a full time job. And I think it's really important that we kind of we we that we remind ourselves of this, because for so many coaches out there, this isn't a full time job. It's a voluntary position. They've probably done a, a hard day's graft already that all of these things and they we're asking for their observation skills to be great, for their technical knowledge to be outstanding so that they can see what the kids need yeah. that that's there is a lot and there's a lot of pressure that rests on their shoulders if we're going to do this job and if we're going to do it right so just i just want to play that clip because it kind of it just it just reaffirms that actually even though we've got coaches at the top end you know speaking the same as us and that it though even though that is their job that actually if we can just buy into it and we get through that initial storming period that actually that even if we don't want to be the England manager, that what we'll see in the players that we'll produce, we may one day in 20 years' time be watching them on yeah. the big stage help. playing amazing Absolutely. football. So we'll play this clip for you now. We're the ones that have to create the environment for, for players to learn, and that environment is always changing and evolving because schools and the way that kids learn at school is changing, the way that kids get information is changing, the way they interact is changing, so we have to be across all of that as well as being experts or as close to being experts in our field as we can be. Tactical knowledge, knowledge of education, knowledge of creating environments and culture. So many areas that you have to be across that it's non-stop and there's always something new, whether that's physical preparation of the team or mental preparation of the team, that there are always new ideas that can improve what we're delivering. I'm fortunate because I'm doing it for my job. That is a requirement of the, of the job for grassroots coaches. They don't necessarily have as much time, but if they can always be looking for some new ideas and, and being up to speed with the way that we want to work and the way that the FA are recommending, you know, our coaching courses are constantly reviewed and giving people the best possible chance of delivering at high level. So I think in that clip, Gareth Southgate kind of summarises everything that we've just spoke about and obviously the point that we made that he mentions that coaches uh, this is his job he's got the time to do all that research a lot of coaches don't have the time to do that but if they do the payoff will be really really rewarding yeah um, I would imagine that there's a huge amount of grassroots coaches 
who, even though they work full-time, feel as though they're a full-time coach as well <laughs> because it, it, it is all-consuming. Um, and particularly if you're doing it so that your son or daughter has an opportunity to play and it might not have been your first choice, you know, to volunteer as the coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what we have to extend is, the, is this notion that we do completely empathise and some people want to do it and are prepared to, to learn as much as they can about it. Some, it's almost as though they've been press-ganged into it because, you know, when the the parents got together and says the team will fold unless we get a coach and everybody took a step back and you were left on your own yeah. and so you assumed that, that position. I think that doesn't give us an excuse to do it badly. Yeah. And I think if you are in that position where, you know, you're, you're only doing it for certain reasons then I think meeting the needs of the children and starting from what, what they bring and what they come with is even more important yeah. because you're going to get majorly stressed out if you don't. So if you've got an hour a week and you're a coach who works full time, rather than go to the internet and get session after session after session, which may not meet the needs of your, your young players, yeah. you you should know how to set up 3v3 games, 2v2 games, you get the parents around the, the perimeter so that the ball rarely goes out yeah. or you're standing with a ball under your arm that as soon as the ball goes out, instead of wasting five minutes while little Johnny goes and fetches it, you've already brawled the next ball on. Yeah, yeah. And so it's continual play all the time. All of these things will help you create a really enjoyable and active hour for those, yeah, those yeah. children. And another thing, if you're continually looking for the next new session yeah what you're presenting your children with every week is we've got to learn this new session or this new activity yeah and so if you are only playing it for 20 minutes then by the time those 20 minutes are up the players are probably just getting, just getting used, used to how to, to be successful in this session so if it has value and there's some really good learning going on then revisit it yeah, over yeah. subsequent weeks. It's not a criticism of a coach if they run the same activity on a number of occasions. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing it every week for a year, then I would say you probably need to change it. Yeah. But the next time you run it, you can just say, remember we played this game. And it gives you a great chance to say, I remember you scoring a, a brilliant goal and you did so well because you picked up the rules really quickly. And so, you, you again, you're drawing yeah, all yeah. those strands together and you've already got the kids. Yeah. It takes less time to set it up. It takes less time to explain the rules because we've already played yeah. it. And then the children can get down to the really important bit is about how to learn to be successful in that game yeah. and what things that they can practice to, to help them even further. Well, there'll be a progression there, won't there? Exactly, yeah. So there are some academies who will have a set number of perhaps 12 practices for maybe in possession and yeah. some for out of possession. And they have been carefully planned to include all of their key coaching points. And another real benefit is it helps you and your observational skills because when you play the game again, you've got a better idea about what might happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you can you can offer more detailed help. You, you're quicker. You're going to gain confidence because you think, oh, I bet this is going to happen. And when yeah, it yeah. does, this is the kind of advice I might give. So the whole thing seems to steamroll. So the kids are... are 
engaged in the game quicker. Yeah, yeah. And you're feeling more confident because the help and advice that you can give them is so much more pertinent. Yeah, yeah. So please, please, please don't shy away from having some really good activities that you revisit on a regular basis. And I think that's kind of the what we keep coming back to is be open and honest, involve parents, involve <clears throat> the kids in what you're doing. Let everybody know I'm an open book. This is what my goal is, long-term, short-term. This is the journey that we're all going to go yeah. on. Because if everyone is on the same page, then <clears throat> it's a lot easier for people to go, oh, we, I, I, you did that last week. Is there, a, is there a reason for that? And you go, oh, yeah, there is actually. Yeah. I've not just, you know, done this because I couldn't think of anything else to do or I've been a bit lazy on my part. But do you know that long-term goal that I, I set and we all talked about? This is part of it. Yeah. And it allows for kind of that um, potential clashing in parents and coaches and guardians and, and, and things. It, it may potentially alleviate that sort of pressure. Yeah. You've already alluded to two things, Lauren. One is a really important one because I get this thrown at me all the time, is that if you're a coach at a grassroots club and your parents are paying subs, and, and some clubs it's, it's, it's quite a substantial yeah. amount, and they see a coach who starts with a game as soon as the kids arrive, and then because the kids seem as though they're having a bit of fun, he doesn't coach them or yeah. she doesn't coach them, he just keeps the game going. Is that all we're paying our subs for? If that was me and that question was aimed at me and I had a chance to chat with the um, parents, it would give me an absolutely brilliant opportunity to say, have you looked at the engagement levels? Have you looked at the little bits of advice that the coach is giving the players? And each game over the weeks that the kids are playing, they seem to be getting better yeah. and they're understanding this and they're understanding that. It's only because he's presenting the game in such a way that he's got the kids engaged and motivated and that gives them a chance to, to fully engage with it mm -hmm. and get better as a result of it. So you're not paying your subs for nothing. You're paying your subs to a coach who is, seems to be you know, quite highly sophisticated in yeah, how he's yeah. structuring in, in practice. And if the same thing applies, if you... If the, the parents say, oh, well, we're paying subs. But he, every so often, he does the same session. Well, as soon as you understand teaching and learning and about revisiting yeah. and taking stuff from your short-term memory into your longer-term memory, which is what's happening during this process, yeah. then you can actually see the value in it rather than saying, well, I'm not paying my money for that. So uh, I think as coaches, the more we know and the more comfortable we feel with the knowledge that we've gained and how it applies to foundation phase development, I think the more confident you're going to be having these discussions with, with any parents who might question it. And I feel like we, we've, there's a lot of information that we've kind of talked about here. Yeah, and sorry I, about that. And as you said, that you you want to include everything and it's important that kids are exposed to everything and such a variety of exercises so i think it's probably only fair that we we will summarize you know we'll conclude this episode so that people can like we said rewatch, pause just take all of this in because there's a lot here that coaches could hopefully go away and go oh i've not i've, I've not thought of that oh yes oh i could yeah. change this i'm hoping a lot of coaches will listen to say do you know what that's that's what we currently do because yeah. part of this process is not to use it as a stick to beat coaches with and say well you're not doing this and you're not doing that i'm hoping a lot of coaches because of the work that we've done on the road shows and and through the way we've tried to communicate um our foundation phase dna through the boot room and through our other resources that we've already got more and more coaches who are adopting this kind of approach yeah so if you're sitting there listening thinking well i already do that 
feel smug for a little bit, <laughs> but also know that you're part of a huge or a growing movement that's really trying to move this game forward. Yeah. So if, if you are one of those coaches, you know, you've certainly got my uh, admiration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, that's a really positive note to kind of to end this on. But uh, we've got into the habit of ending on a really, really lovely quote by Albert Einstein that is used in the Roadshow event. So take it away, Dad. Yeah. Love is a better teacher than a sense of duty. And if it's high energy, if it includes games and if you're the kind of coach who really cares about the children and offers them really helpful advice in the most appropriate way, I think you're you're working towards that mantra. Hope you enjoyed that snippet of DNA Insights and don't forget that you can find all of the episodes of the limited series on the England football community. We'll be back soon with normal episodes of CoachCast, so keep an eye on our social media channels and wherever you get your podcasts from. So until then, from all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.